Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Many times as the Lord moves and leads, God doesn't let us stay comfortable very long. If you walk with God, you'll find that it's not, it's not, this is not, it's not Dr. Scholes. It's not real comfortable. When you walk with the Lord, it's God stretches you out all the way to the, nah, I can't do anymore. And you come to the end of yourself and he shows up and then you get blessed and then God does it all over again. And he just, he stretches us out. He wants to show us how, how big he is. He wants to grow us in our trust in him. Um, but it's, it's rare that God says, I'm going to just let you be comfortable for a long, long, long time. Many things have a cycle, a pattern. Seasons go through a cycle from winter to spring to summer, then fall. Then the cycle starts all over again. Well, did you know that your spiritual life has a cycle or pattern too? You may have really fruitful seasons, followed by some dry spells. You might know the seasons of blessing, only to be followed up by a season of stretching and growing, and even painful seasons. Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that it's normal. God's using it in some way. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God would look at everybody and say, look, they're all, every human being been made in my image. Value that life. I love that person. I, I want to save them. I want to, you know, I want to see them reconciled to me. But there's a life that I gave them. Value that because they've been made in my image. And if I can't see anything else good in a human being, I can look at them and say that person's made in the image of God. And that's, that's got to be good enough. But I'm not, I don't get to choose who gets to live and who doesn't. Um, that's, you know, and again, we'll explain the difference between killing and murder because here comes a problem, right? There are some, there's some, there, there are some Christian groups that are against war. They feel, they, they feel like it's wrong for Christians to go to the military where you might have to kill someone. They believe it's wrong for a Christian to become part of a police force where you might have to kill someone as part of your job. Um, there are Christian groups that have misinterpreted these things and believe that all killing is wrong. And I think we want to we want to do we want to know better than that. We're going to read it as we go. But he'll, this will be the distinction. If I kill you in the course of work and some accidental thing happens, even if we're horsing around, playing around and you slipped and fall and died, that's I killed you. But I killed you on accident. It's different Then if I hated you in my heart. I can't stand you. And I shoved you and you fell and you died. Or in my anger, my rage, you know, I threw my axe in your direction and then boom, you died. I didn't mean to kill him. Oh, that's, that's murder. You murdered him. And one thing we're going to see here is, and if anybody here struggled with anger, we need to deal with, deal with that because in the New Testament, as God deals with the root cause of things, what's the root of murder? Anger, hatred, a foul heart, right? Murder starts in the heart. Uh, and it starts with anger, malice, rage. That's, that's where it's born out of and it ends in murder. Jails are full of people who got mad one day, really regretted it afterwards. But, but the day they got mad and they did whatever they did when they were mad, boom, murder resulted. Now they're sorry, but it's too late. That life's gone. And so if you're a person given to anger, fits of rage or whatever, you want to you deal with that. You want to get some help with that. Um, that could result in really ugly things. Um, so uh, moving on now, look at verses 13 through 15. It says, and of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will, which will be the cities of refuge. 
These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Now, I thought something was kind of interesting here. Remember the two and a half tribes that decided that they weren't going to go into the promised land? On the, they were going to stay on the other side of the Jordan. There are only two and a half tribes that are not going into the promised land. There's nine and a half tribes that are going in. And God gives the same amount of cities of refuge to the two and a half tribes as he did for the nine and a half tribes. And just follow this with me. If the goal of the city of refuge was so that when someone was killed, they had a place to run. And God said over here where there's nine and a half tribes, many, many, many more people. We got three. And on this side of the Jordan, where you guys didn't want to go to promised land, saying it's only two and a half of y'all, y'all are much smaller, but I got three as well. I, I read that and I, I wonder if God was hinting that it's, it's going to be two, three times as bad over here. Y'all decided to stay over here thinking it was going to be all good. Y'all going to have way more per capita. Y'all going to have way more problems with murder and killing than all these tribes over here. That's a whole lot. That's a, it was like, you know, moving into an area and saying like, wow, you know, it's only, you know, a small for the population here. How come they police force is the same as a city five times as big? That would, that, would, that would concern me. That was why I see police everywhere over here. What goes on over here at nighttime? And so it's just a thought that for that group that decided we won't live by faith, we won't go into the promised land, we're going to settle and be comfortable over here on this side of the Jordan. Um, and, and it turns out that they do die first and they do get taken first and everything else. So um, we don't want to be that group that doesn't walk by faith. We don't want to be that group that doesn't enter into all that God has that tries to tries to settle somewhere safe. Um, we want to be radical in our faith and our walk and our life for the Lord. And that's going to require constantly we take steps. Someone was saying earlier um, how that the, many times that the Lord moves and leads. He, God doesn't let us stay comfortable very long. If you walk with God, you'll find that it's not, it's not, this is not, it's not Dr. Scholes. It's not real comfortable. When you walk with the Lord, it's God stretches you out all the way to the, nah, I can't do anymore. And you come to the end of yourself and he shows up and then you get blessed and then God does it all over again. And he just, he stretches us out. He wants to show us how, how big he is. He wants to grow us in our trust in him. Um, but it's, it's rare that God says, I'm going to just let you be comfortable for a long, long, long time. Trials happen where we got to trust God and, you know, cling to him. Um, time where our faith is stretched out, where we got to trust God beyond what we could see. And it seems like that's where God wants his kids living, in a place where we're walking by faith and not by sight. Um, not, not momentary, not experiencing faith, but we're actually walking by faith. That becomes the way that you walk, the way that you live, just trusting God every, every step of the way. So um, one last piece on that, because that group that stayed over, that settled, they had isolated themselves from not only the, the, the masses of God's people, but also where the tabernacle would be, where the, where the worship of the Lord would be and all those things. And whenever people isolate themselves from fellowship, from the people of God, from the place where God's where people gather to the Lord, um, it, it, it leads to trouble and it leads to difficult. I've never seen anybody that decided to do their own thing, to do that, 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 that I just Christian by myself. I worship God at the beach and the waves. I've never seen anybody do that and thrive. I've never seen anybody detached from the body of Christ. And whenever somebody does that and I talk to them I'm like, well, you know, I, just, I just don't, you know, I just don't do church. I don't do organized religion. I love God. I read my Bible and I pray, but I just do my own thing. It's like, well, if he's Lord and he's the one that said, don't forsake the gathering together and so much more to see the day approaching, that would seem to be disobedience 
if you're just kind of doing that. He's the one that said gather. And so that time you spend alone with him at the beach, read Hebrews 10, 24 and, and how you respond to what he says. That's a bigger deal, you know, that we, we respond in obedience and submission. So moving on now, look at verses 16 through 21. Um, and, and here we'll get the distinction between killing and murder. And so it says here, but if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, it is a murder. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies or in enmity or as an argument or fight, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. And so that's, that's all explaining what a murder is. The next verse will explain what an accidental killing is. But if you hear the, there's a theme in through the verses, it's, it's intentional. It's some of it's with forethought. All of them are with weapons. You know, if you, if you took a, a metal item and, he, and struck him and it killed him, you took a weapon made with wood and struck him and killed him. If you took a stone and struck him and killed him, whatever he took, if he hit him with his own hand, if he pushed him with enmity in his heart and there was hatred or enmity in his heart towards him, if any of those things happened and he died, it was considered a murder. So murder is born out of hatred. If you write notes, write down Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, and I'll read it to us real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, it was 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell. And basically what he's explaining here, there's, a, there's an attitude of the heart. Hatred, fool, you know, Raka, you know, just, just you worthless person. Just, there's an attitude of the heart that murder precedes. And so for it to be murder, it's, it's got to be an attitude of the heart. It's not some accidental. It's something that you intended to do. So how do you cut, where do you cut murder off at? Some people think, well, I just, you know, I, I can hate whoever I want to hate, but I just won't. I've never killed anybody. God would have us to cut murder off at the heart, which means I'm not even free to be in a place where I'm hating people. Um, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't free myself to grow into a place where I hate another human being um, because that's where murder is born out of. That's, that's, the, that's where it comes from. And so, and all the instances laid out there, um, again, some were done with weapons. And I, I just want to say this too. Um, you know, in our culture right now, and I, I'm not a big political person, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me, but I do just feel like when things come up in the word, we should address them. Our culture, there are people, there, there, there are personalities and people that feel like the way we'll stop killing in America is we'll have stricter gun laws. We'll put restrictions on who can get what kind of weapons, right? As I read this here, God has said there are weapons, there are rock, wood, metal, shoving, the issue is not the weapons, it's the heart, right? Everybody know that? You're, you're, if you got a gun at home, your gun not going to jump up and go kill somebody. 
Uh, it just doesn't. You know, it just, it, it's, that's not where the issue, the issue is in the heart of man. You, take, you, you put men in jail with no, with no guns and no weapons, and you know what they do? They start making weapons. They start making, implement. I, I watched a whole show of prison guys, and they had made, I mean, this, the, the wickedness in man's heart, they had come up with so many instruments of murder. Guys had found rolled tight magazines and had stuff you can blow out with a point um, to <coughs> and shoot and blow, and blow guns to blow at the guards walking by. Dudes have taken, you know, took a toothbrush and went out on the yard and scraped it up and made it sharp enough to, to poke someone and puncture them. Um, they would take the chain link fence and get a piece of chain link fence long enough and, and, and sharpen it up and that would be something I'm like, you, this is the heart of men, right? They, they're figuring out ways, you know, to kill folk in there. Just making up stuff. Um, very creative too. Um, they took plastic cups and if you take a plastic cup and you, they had fire and you melt it with fire, roll it like this and dip it in the water, it gets hard. So guys are taking plastic cups, holding them over fire, melting them down into a sharp point like this, like Play-Doh, and then dipping it in, it's like, that's, there's a weapon. <laughs> I'm gonna kill somebody, you know? So it's not gonna be the weapons, it's gonna be the heart, amen? Uh, I, hope, I hope y'all see that. So uh, don't, let, don't let the world that we live in and the politicians that are speaking convince you that if we had stricter laws, there'd be less death, we wouldn't. Uh, as far as if we restricted, you know, weapons or whatever, um, people will find something else to kill with. You don't really need anything. I don't need a gun. I mean, there are killings that happen without guns. You, I mean, you, how much can you restrict? If we took all the guns away, people will stab folks. If we took all the guns and all the knives, you know, we got rocks. All the guns, all the knives, all the rocks, people will run folk over. People will figure out a way how to kill somebody else if that's what's in their heart to do. God would say, well, I want to go after the hearts of man. That's where we're going to make a difference. So um, anyway, moving on down. So that was all of the murder. It was intentional. It was born out of a hatred. Um, and they intended to kill someone. Now verses 22 to 28, this is uh, the other side of the coin. Um, those that would be innocent, accidental death. So however, it says, however, if he pushes him suddenly without, without enmity. So he doesn't hate the guy, he just pushed him, maybe they were playing around or whatever, or throws anything at him without lying in wait. So if I throw something, but I wasn't lying in wait to get you, I just threw it. Um, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that's an accident, so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm. So notice the goal was the guy was not mad at him, wasn't seeking his harm, wasn't lying in wait intending to get him, you know, just these things happen on accident. That's the, the difference here. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he has fled and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. So this is interesting. Even if the guy was innocent, he had to remain in the city of refuge until the high priest that oversaw his case, until that guy died. So I guess if you were innocent, you accidentally killed someone and you got to the city of refuge and they came and they judged and they decided, you know what, he didn't do it, it was an accident. You know, you go ahead and stay here in the city of refuge, you're safe. And you have to stay here until the guy in charge, the guy, the high priest here dies, then you can go on back home. Now. If he decides that he wants to go on home early, that's verses 26 to 28. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled and the avenger of blood finds him outside, outside the limits 
of the city of refuge and the avenger of blood kills a manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. So here's the deal. If you were found guilty, so if you went to trial and they found that you actually were guilty of murder, then you couldn't say, the city of refuge did not protect you if you had actually murdered someone. The, the avenger of blood can go ahead and take you out. But if you got to the city of refuge and they judged your case and found that you were actually innocent, you still had to stay there. Uh, you didn't get to go back home to your family. You didn't get to go back to the community. You had to stay there until that high priest died. And so you might, I mean, <laughs> what if the guy was young? What if he just started? You know, I mean, it, it, this could be the rest of your life. It could be, it's a very long time. And so we understand that there might be a temptation for someone to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I don't want to stay here. I want, I want to go back home. Um, I've been here three years, five years. That guy, I'm like, he's going to die no time soon. I'm, I'm going to go back to my family. Well, you step out of the city of refuge, you step out of that covering God had provided, you step out on your own and God says, now you're free game. That brother who, the brother of the person that you killed see you and say, hey, I, you know, I recognize you. And then God said that he won't be guilty if he kills you. What is the, the point in that, right? What do we gain? What do we gather? At the very end, I wanna, I'm gonna talk about how the God is our refuge and, and I wanna point some things out. But I thought it was really interesting that he had to stay there until the death of the high priest. Um, it would seem that almost doesn't make sense. You know, it's like, how come somebody's got to die for me to go free? Um, and in that case, it was a person that was innocent, you know, but that you, you had a refuge and a covering until that guy died, then you could, you know, be completely free of it. And I just, I see a picture there. Obviously, um, what God does is even greater because even those of us that are guilty can come under the covering of our high priest and be completely free and completely forgiven, not just the innocent, but even the guilty. And I would point this out that, that obviously we're New Testament, New Covenant believers. So as you look at the Old Covenant, uh, I just want you to see, I think it's important for us to note that um, there, was, there, was not a, there was not a lot of mercy for certain things. You know, if you kill someone, death for death, done. You're going to pay for that. Um, I just, New Testament, it's just a lot different. Um, there's, a, there's, there's some mercy, there's some grace, there's some things that God extends to us that were not extended. I, I, I think we have to look at the difference and appreciate what Christ has made available to us, the forgiveness that's, that's ours in Christ, and how that even in Christ there is refuge and covering even for the guilty. Here there's refuge and covering once you're proven innocent. But how many of us are gonna be proven innocent? How many of us, how many of us will recognize that we're guilty on many, many, many counts? Well, God can provide refuge and safety and covering for the guilty. And that's just a way better deal. And that's what he makes available to all those that have put their trust and put their faith in him. So uh, again, verses 22 to 28 deal with the accidental killing. They could flee to the city of refuge. They had to stay until the high priest died. And if they left early, um, they could be killed. They should have stayed in the place of safety. They should have stayed under the covering. And that should be a reminder to us, right? There's a covering God provides for his kids. What's the covering God provides for us is as we, as we walk in obedience, as we come under God's covering, we obey his commands, we obey the rules that he lays out, there's a covering over his kids. Everybody has the freedom and the option. You could walk out from under that covering and, and go be exposed to the elements and all those things, but we could also walk under his covering. We could walk with him and be obedient to what he shares with us. And so we should be reminded too, uh, because we do have free will, 
I have a choice every single day. I understand in general, just the general will, plan, scope of how God would have me to live and walk. But I could choose to veer over here, out from under that, and expose myself to, to whatever's out there. Uh, we should be mindful of that. We want to. I want to stay under His covering. I want to stay where where God would have me to be. So, look at verse twenty nine to thirty four. Um, you know, God, something else God didn't want done. He didn't want people, you know, being able to pay their way out. That's one of the issues today. Somebody can murder somebody in cold blood, get, get, get caught on camera doing it. And if you got enough money in the bank, um, some of these celebrities and stars and whatnot, you, you might can get away with it. Um, if you pay enough people off and everything else, um, if you're part of the right organization, you might be able to get off. And so what God does here is that I don't want there to be any of that kind of corruption Verses 29 to 34 says, and these things shall be a statute of judgment for you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer, whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not significant testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death. But he shall surely be put to death. And so one one person coming is not enough. You got to have multiple witnesses. People have to have seen it and testify and cooperate that what you did or what they're saying you did would happen. And also he says there can't be no ransom. Somebody can't kill somebody and pay you pay enough money to get out of it. He said, no, if you, if you did it, there'll be no ransom taken. You're going to you're going to pay with death. Verse 32. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return and dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So also the person that's innocent in the city of refuge, and maybe they got money. They can't pay off people to be able to leave the city of refuge early and get out. And so God just didn't want there to be among his people bribery, um, all the all the corruption that comes with money when that gets involved. God said there'll be none of that. There'll be no ransom paid for these things. Verse 33 so you shall not pollute the land where you are. The blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. And so God says here that the blood, of the, it's, really, it's the blood of murder that it pollutes or defiles a land. And I read this and this is God establishing something among his kids, the children of Israel. Guys, this pollutes the land, defiles the land. It's not what I want. I look at our world and I think, wow, we're, we're polluted and defiled. How bad is bad for us? It's, I mean, I look at this and I think, man, God was trying to prevent these things. And I look at how bad it is in our culture and the time in which we live. Um, God said that, that murder and that sort of killing defiled and polluted the land. Um, once again, as we look at how defiled, polluted our culture is, uh, and I, I, I hope we get this so bad. I, it bothers me. It, it, it bothers me deeply when I listen to Christians talk as though we could we could make a difference in the world and all the corruption, all the stuff in the world. We could make a, a we could make a difference in this world somehow politically, somehow if we got the right president, if we got the right people in government, the right people in office, the right people in the Supreme Court. Somehow, if we got the right people in places, everything would be all right. Because um, to me. That puts a whole lot of trust in carnal, flawed human beings, which is why we're in the mess we're in anyway. Um, I believe that from a Christian standpoint, we'll do the best we can to vote our faith and trust the Lord with the outcome. But what's going to make a difference in the world in which we live is that the people of God trust God, believe God. 
and that we share him with those that don't know him. That's that's how we impact the, the the way Christians are to impact culture is to share Christ in the culture. That's all we have time for today on a transforming word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.